Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're in a series from 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5 called Don't Forget the Fish. Uh, This series really takes as its image for us uh, that of a fishing trip. And you know if you've gone on a fishing trip that when you go on a fishing trip, you take with you a lot of gear. And you would grab your your gear, and we've looked at this each week. You would take things like your your rods and your reels, and you would take your your tackle bag, and you take lures, and you take all kinds of equipment with you when you would go on this fishing trip. Uh, But we talked about how absurd it would be for someone to go on a fishing trip and to spend all of their time organizing their gear so that they never actually fished. They go to the lake, they sit on the dock, they organize their tackle, they organize their rods and reels, they spend all their time doing that, they never actually fish. That would be absurd. And we've made the parallel off of that image that in the Christian life, God has equipped us with a lot of gear. God has equipped us with a lot of stuff. He calls them blessings. Things like His Holy Spirit and His Word and community. And God has equipped us with all this gear Jesus says, so that we might be fishers of men. In other words, if God has gone to all of the trouble to equip us for this life of ministry and service to others, let's not forget to fish. Let's go ahead and take our lives and invest them in serving others for Christ. And so we've been looking at, over the last several weeks, the verses of 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5, and we've seen some encouragements for us to not forget the fish in that series. And we're going to continue that series today uh, by looking at the latter parts of chapter 4. But before we do that, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you so much for the time that you've given us to gather and to look at your word. And Father, I pray that you would just teach through me today. Father, we do not need to hear from me, but we do need to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that uh, amidst all the distractions of life and everything that we've all got going on, that you would allow our hearts to settle on this passage. And, Father, as we do so, that your Spirit might illuminate it for us so that we could see and understand who you are in greater depth. Father, I pray that you would guide our time, and I pray that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But any words that I say today, Father, that are your words for us, I pray that we would remember them, we would believe them, we would apply them in our lives by faith, that we might be changed more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a toy up here with me today. Um, this is uh, just a simple shop light, right? Uh, I, I love this light because my dad had one very similar to this growing up. Uh, it was actually orange. Uh, any, any of you have one of these in your garage? Uh, my, my dad had one of these in his garage. And I remember as a kid, uh, this was like the rite of passage. We didn't have Excalibur at my house, but we did have an orange shop light. Uh, only dad was allowed to go up into the attic with the orange shop light. And so it was somewhat of a rite of passage for me. So it's with great joy that I stand before you today with this little yellow light. Um, 
and you know it it works it, it turns on it, it, you know what's interesting about a light like this is as I remembered as a kid th- this light was very powerful right I mean it would light up the whole garage it would light up the whole attic but you know when I, when I turn it on in this room here and kind of shine it around it's it's really not doing much is it it's certainly on but unless I'm shining it in your eyes it's hard to tell that it's on but if we added just a little bit of contrast if we were to take the lights in the room out can you tell where this light is now is it helping us see the front of the stage a little better Against the contrast of darkness, the light shines even brighter. We can turn the lights back on. Uh, we actually joked earlier, Richard and, and Phil Kemp and I were, were, were joking about, if we turn out all the lights, what if we turn them back on and everybody left? Um, so I informed them to not let anybody leave during that, so thanks for sticking around. But isn't it interesting how the same light, the properties of this light didn't change at all. But in the contrast of darkness, the light shone even brighter. Its purpose was more clearly seen, shining against the darkness. You know, today we're going to be looking at a very important passage of Scripture. In chapter 4, verses 7 to 18 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, In this section of 2 Corinthians, I believe that Paul works through three different contrasts, three contrasts that help us to understand the purpose and character of ministry and service to others a little more. He gives three contrasts, and just like that light is better seen in darkness, so God's purposes in the world are better seen and better understood against three contrasts that Paul's going to lay out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So let me read those verses for us. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 to 18. I'm going to read all the verses, then we're going to zoom back in and, and take a deeper look. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7, says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. This is an, a truly awesome passage of Scripture that we get to look at today. Um, but I want to highlight one verse before we go any further, and that is 4.16. Uh, that verse says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Uh, what's interesting to me about that verse is that verse contains within it something that we all want. What are the things that, you'll just look at it, what are the things in that verse that we all want? Well, the things in that verse that we all want, we don't want to lose heart. We talked last week, this is, therefore, we don't want to quit. How many of you walked in today saying, I want to lose heart today? I want to leave discouraged and ready to quit. No, we all want to be encouraged This is something that we want. There's something in this passage that we want that would encourage us to not quit. The second thing is, how many of you want to be renewed day by day? How many of you want to experience a renewal in your life, a a, a vitality, like, like a cell phone that needs charging? How many of you want to be charged back up today? Yes, how many of you walked in today and said, you know what, I really want to be more discouraged, more beaten down, have the life sucked out of me by the time I leave today? No, no one walked in here thinking like that. Therefore, this passage is of great importance for us because this passage talks about how we can be renewed day by day. And this passage talks about how we can be encouraged to not quit in the Christian life. If we're not going to forget the fish, if we're going to invest our lives in service and ministry to others, there's encouragement in these verses that we need. And that encouragement is found in three contrasts. Three contrasts that help us to understand a little more about what it is to serve others and what God is up to. Uh, Just like the light in the darkness, there's a contrast that we need to see. The first of those contrasts that we need to see is this. We need to see the contrast of our frailty with His glory. The contrast of our frailty with his glory. If we're going to be involved in, in, in ministering to others, then we need to understand the contrast between our frailty and his glory. Uh, we see that in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If you break down that verse a little more, you, you find several things. He says, we have this treasure. We. Plural. Inclusive. Paul and the Corinthians. By application, Paul, the Corinthians, and Wildwood. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in this we. We have this treasure. Whatever it is Paul's getting ready to say is something that we possess as believers in Jesus Christ. He says that we have this treasure. The next question we should ask is, what is the treasure? What is the treasure that we have? I think in context, the treasure that we have is the very presence of God in our lives. Uh, over in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, just a few verses before this, Paul says this. says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
our lives are considered treasure chests before God because we are the, the, the placeholders, the containers within which the glory of God rests in this world. We, the Corinthians, Paul, and Wildwood, all believers in the world, are the container within which the glory of God, the Spirit of God, rests and dwells. He says, we have this treasure. But he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. I think that's a very important phrasing there for us to grasp and to understand. If, if, If I just go through that statement and say, the glory of God rests within your life. If, if you're intellectually honest at all, you should say, why? Why would God rest his glory within my life? You think of the Old Testament and the precision that went into the creation of the Ark of the Covenant that the glory of God dwelt over. And then that, that Ark went from being carried around in, in the wilderness to being set in the tabernacle, and then from being set in this tabernacle to be pla- being placed in an immaculate temple. Just a quick intellectual set of honesty, we would say, why is it that God would take that glory that once resided in such a miraculous place, and why would he then cause it to dwell in my life? We're all well acquainted with our warts and blemishes and problems. If we're intellectually honest at all, we would have to ask the question, why would God cause His glory to rest in my life? And Paul answers that by reminding the Corinthians, hey, God sees it fit to have His glory sit in a jar of clay, referring to their lives. What does that mean, a jar of clay? The jar of clay that that Paul was referring to, I think, was just a, a simple jar that you could buy for a couple of pennies in the Corinthian market. If you're going to go to, to, to buy something, it'd be the, the equivalent of, of the, the paper bowls that you would, you would buy at Walmart compared to the fine china that you might buy at Macy's, right? He says that the treasure of God rests in the jar of clay, the, the paper plate, the paper bowl, something that costs a couple of cents, something that's not impressive by itself. The glory of God is resting in that, not in something fancy. And it's resting in that for what purpose? The glory of God is resting in that paper bowl. The glory of God is resting in that jar of clay so that no one would be talking about the jar. But everybody would be talking about the God who is inhabiting that jar. That's the the purpose of verse 7. He says, why is it that God's glory is resting within us? It's resting within us so that people wouldn't be talking about us, but they would be talking about God. The contrast of our frailty makes God's glory that much more visible. That's what we're talking about. You know, I was thinking about this uh, in relation to our, our, our fishing analogy that we've been using and, and uh, thinking about the, the fishing trip that I most recently went on this summer. You know, about lunchtime every day, we would take our boats and we would drive them up on shore and we'd take a fresh catch from the day and, and uh, I say we, this is a very loose editorial we, other people would do this, uh, I, I'm not good with these kinds of things, but they would, they would skin the fish and they would fillet it and they would, they would fry it up right there on the, on the side of the bank and we would eat it with, with beans and onions and potatoes, it was great. I loved that time of eating every day at lunchtime, this great food. But you know what's interesting is that food 
was served on some of the most common plates possible. Just cheap little hodgepodge of Walmart-bought plastic plates. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what they look like. You know why? Because I was looking at the food. I wasn't looking at that plate. I could tell you all kinds of things about the food. I could tell you very little about the plate on which it sits. Contrast that with going and eating at a very fine, fancy restaurant with a white tablecloth and fancy napkins and low, dim lighting and, and uh, you know, all kinds of different forks and spoons surrounding the plate and designs on the plates and all this stuff. You know, when you leave there, you might actually have a conversation with somebody and talk to them about how fancy the presentation was on the meal that you had, right? If, if all of the presentation outdoes the meal, you spend time talking about the presentation. But on our fishing trip, the meal outshines the presentation, so we spend all of our time talking about the meal. You know what, the same thing is true in the providence of God in ministry and service to others. God sees it fit for His glory, His presence to rest within our lives so that everybody will be talking about Him and not us. If you ever have looked at your life in ministry and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm frail, I'm weak, I don't have what it takes in whatever situation to, to communicate the truth that needs to be communicated, to love this person the way they need to be loved, to serve the way that it needs to be served. I feel weak and I feel frail. You know, if you find yourself in that position, you're a jar of clay. And your weakness provides the perfect contrast for God to show up and for His work to be known. I'll give you a couple examples of that. You know, last Sunday is, is, a, great, is, a, is a great reminder. You know, last Sunday, uh, Luke Brown came and shared a little bit about what God has been doing in the Life Shade ministry over the last year. And uh, I, I know that, that Luke, um, he's probably not enjoying me mentioning his name again. I'm sorry, Luke. I, I think you're out there someplace. Uh, but but he, he, was, he was not excited about sharing because he was, he was really nervous about getting up in, in front of everybody and sharing. I understand that feeling. Um, but Luke got up and he shared. And, and you know what? In, in that moment of, of declaring what God had done, all of us had the opportunity to, to, to praise and, and, and to worship God. We didn't leave here. I didn't leave here going, wow, Luke was a great guy. Luke did an awesome, awesome work. Luke is a great guy. But I left here going, wow, God was at work in that situation. Our frailty, our jar of clay provides the perfect contrast for the work of God. I'll give you another example. Uh, last Sunday, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to preach, and I was up here and I, I was talking, and, and you know, this is my emotional feeling when the service ended. Um, I thought, you know what, that was awful. Really, that's, that's what I felt. I thought, you know what, I don't know if God used any part of that. I think I may have totally fogged out the room and no one understood what was happening and I felt like I, I'd, I'd missed some things that I wanted to say and, and all this stuff. That, that, that was my emotional feeling um, when, I, when I left the stage. You, you probably saw me, I was smiling. That's what I was thinking all afternoon. Boy, that was lousy. Um, you know what happens so frequently when, when I feel like that? That's the week that God chooses to remind me six or seven examples of people saying, hey, let me tell you what God communicated to me last week. Let me tell you how God encouraged me through the message. I say that not to elicit, um, you know, hey, attaboys from you guys. And I, I say that not, I say that because I felt like I was frail and weak and did a lousy job. 
in presenting the truth last Sunday. And yet God saw fit to remind me that it's him and not me. That people could leave here, Wildwood could leave here thinking about how great God is, not, wow, Mark sure did a good job of whatever. If we're engaged in ministry the way God wants us to, he's the one we're talking about, not us. Our frailty, our weakness, is the perfect contrast for God's glory to show up. God has a plan to use everyone in this room in his purposes. I believe that at the core of my being because the word of God says that it's so. And know this, when, when God is using you at your height, when God is using you at your maximum, you might feel as though you're being worthless. You might feel as though you're adding nothing to the equation. But the reality is that our frailty and our, our lack of whatever is the perfect contrast for others to see God himself. Our frailty contrasted with God's glory. Be encouraged. Don't quit. Be renewed day by day. That contrast we need to remember. A second contrast, though, that I, I want us to see and remember is the contrast of our death with their life. The contrast of our death with their life. You see, Paul goes on in this passage, and he says in verse 10, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, what Paul was referring to there is that as he engaged in ministry and service to others, that he was experiencing what he calls the death of Jesus. He was always carrying around with him the death of Jesus. Now, many times when we talk about being identified with the death of Jesus, uh, we talk about being Jesus' death on the cross being identified with us so that we might have forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's used frequently in the writings of Paul, but I don't think that's the intended meaning of this passage. When Paul says that we are identified with the death of Christ, I don't think he is implying that his sins are forgiven, though they are. I think that the specific nuance of being identified with the death of Jesus, carrying it around with him always, Paul, what Paul was really saying here was that in his life, he was experiencing persecution and difficulty and trouble just as Jesus did. Jesus' trouble ultimately climaxed at his death on the cross. And Paul was saying that in his life and in his experience, he also was experiencing difficulty and trouble because of his faith in Christ. He was experiencing death. Jesus promised that it would be that way. In, in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18 and following, this is what it says. So Jesus said to his disciples, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. See, Jesus was saying that because the world has hated him, they'll hate those who come in his name as well. Because they wanted him dead, they want to inflict deathly treatment to his followers as well. And when we engage in ministry to others, we will experience some difficult things. You know, you think about some of the difficulties that we experience. They're, they're, hard, they're, they're minor compared to the harsh treatment of others in the world today. But the, the difficulty of rejection, the difficulty of misunderstanding, the difficulty of, of being ostracized, the difficulty of maybe not being on the inside loop of your family, all because of your faith in Christ, because of the stances that you're taking. Sometimes you can experience some of those consequences. Uh, elsewhere in the world today, there are those who because of their faith in Christ are experiencing uh, much more severe treatment, uh, even to the point of, of death or imprisonment. But the reality is that Paul says that difficulty will come because of our effort in ministry. Difficulty will come. Uh, And not just difficulty in ministry, but difficulty in life. As we live out our lives in this world, there's a lot of difficulty that we'll go through. There'll be physical illness, and there'll be relational strife, and there's going to be financial problems, and all of these things that we go through. They're difficult experiences that we live with. But there's a contrast that comes. We experience this difficulty, but God does something with it. Our difficulty becomes the perfect backdrop for God to do something. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 say this. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. See, we experience difficulty... That becomes the darkness into which the light of Christ so so brightly shines. Paul says, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. When I experience difficulty, Paul says, then Jesus shows up and sustains me so that others around can see the sustaining power of God in the midst of my difficulty. In my death-type experiences, the life of Christ can be more clearly seen. Think about the difficulty that you go through. Think about just your last week, your last month, your last year. What are the difficulties that you've been going through? Physical illness, rejection because of your faith in Christ, relational issues, whatever it might be. Think of the difficulty that you've gone through. Have you ever thought about that difficulty is a black canvas into which the light of Christ can more brightly shine? And the light of Christ more brightly shines into our difficulty, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Look at what it says. He says, 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, Paul was saying, I'm experiencing difficulty so that the light of Christ can shine in it so that you might see it and you might be renewed and revitalized and encouraged in your faith in Christ. Paul says, I'm experiencing difficulty so that you might grow. You know, when, when I read this this week, I, I was really floored by this. I don't know that I'd ever really grasped that truth. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we go through difficulty. There's the shaping of our character, and you know, that's the one that we're most familiar with, Right? We're most familiar, you're going through, that's a character-building experience. We think about it in terms of us. But have you ever thought about your difficulty as an opportunity for God to give life to somebody else, for God to revitalize someone else's faith as they watch the light of Christ shine against the dark canvas of your life? Paul realized that. and He was encouraged. He would experience difficulty so that others might grow. And, and it goes on to say in this passage that it would produce a great spiritual harvest. He says in, in, in verse 13 through 15, he says, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us, listen to this, with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul says, I will go through darkness so that Christ's light might shine on my life, so that you might join with me at the pearly gates of heaven one day, so that you might be given life eternal, and that grace might abound more and more, and more thanksgiving might be given to God. I will endure the darkness so that his light might shine greater in your life. you ever thought about your difficult experiences in that way? You're experiencing difficulty so that others might see the light of Christ more clearly. I think that's what Paul is saying here. And if that's the case, how do we respond in that setting? Verse 13 tells us. Paul says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because... We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Paul's quoting there Psalm 116. And Paul's saying, if I believe something to be true, then I will vocalize it with my mouth so that others around me could, could hear my commentary on the situation, my understanding of what's happening. When we go through difficulty, if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to vocalize to others around us, the truth that we see being played out of what God is doing in our lives, the dark canvas of our life providing the canvas on which Christ's light to shine. If we were vocalized to others, our faith in Christ in the midst of our difficulty, then it provides opportunity for others to look into the situation and go, that person is not just getting by in this situation, but that person is clinging to Christ 
And that's the key to them surviving their difficulty, whether it's persecution or illness or, or discouragement or whatever. Our willingness to, to believe and to speak allows all around us the opportunity to see the contrast of the light of Christ with the darkness that we're experiencing. You see, in our lives, that's a contrast we need to remember. It's a contrast we need to remember. That's the second contrast. The third contrast, though, that I want us to see is this. We need to contrast our present with our future. We need to contrast our present with our future. Uh, We see that in verses 17 and 18. Paul says in these verses, he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, Paul was saying that there is something far better awaiting his future than what he was currently experiencing. Uh, There's a great contrast between those two. See, what he was currently experiencing, he describes as light, momentary troubles. Now, if you were here last week, you heard us read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's, let's, Let's read it again. This is the trouble that Paul described as both light and momentary. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 23, Paul says, I have worked much harder, I've been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. And I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. That little list wasn't even complete, but that's the list that he calls light and momentary. Uh, That's hard to believe, right? Uh, His difficulty is light. He's beaten within an inch of his life frequently. He's put into prison often. He's experiencing all kinds of emotional anguish, and he's in danger wherever he goes. That's the light affliction that he talked about. Uh, and momentary, and unless all of this happened in one day, which would make for a really bad day, right? Um, it certainly didn't meet the definition of momentary that I would want to have, right? So what in the world is Paul talking about? How can he say that all of that stuff is light and momentary? He didn't forget about it. He wrote about it in the same letter. How is it that the Apostle Paul could say that? Was he insane? Uh, no. I think the way that we can help make sense of this is to know that, that heavy, heaviness and time are both relative terms. Heaviness and time are relative terms. Um, if something is heavy or light, it's relative. It's relative to something, right? Um, if if you, you could say that, that uh, um, you know, 
I, I am heavier than my son, but I'm lighter than an elephant, right? Um, I hope you would say that. Um, you can say those kinds of things. It's, it's a relative term. You know, it's, it's interesting. Last week, I uh, uh, saw somebody, I was carrying, carrying around my son. We were walking around here. And uh, somebody goes, wow, your son is huge. I thought, well, yeah, maybe. He's 24 pounds. That's not even a huge dog, you know. Um, <laughs> But what he meant was, he's huge compared to what he once was. He was three pounds when he was born. He's huge. 24 is huge compared to three. 24 is small compared to my overweight 40-pound dog, right? Um, It's a relative term. The same thing is true with time. Time is relative, too. Um, You might be thinking, wow, this is a long message. I wish it would get over soon, right? Uh, You may be thinking that way right now. Um, But that's because you have some internal clock that has been built into you about messages. Some others of you are saying, wow, this is a short message. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Wow, you guys are awesome. Um, but you know, it, it's a relative term, right? Time and weight are relative terms. They have to be in reference to something. And, and what Paul is really saying in this passage is he's saying that, that our, our troubles are light compared to the awesome future that we hold. One day we will be in heaven with Christ. One day we will return with Christ to a new heaven and a new earth and we'll reign with Him and it will be awesome. One day we will experience freely and see with our own eyes the glory of God like we've never seen it before. One day we will hunger no more, we will thirst no more, there will be no more illness and sickness and death. One day it will be awesome. And in light of our awesome future, no matter what we experience right now, it's going to be light. It's a relative term. All of the stuff that Paul wrote, which was greater than what we will experience most likely in our life, was light compared to the future. And it was momentary. It didn't all happen in one day, but it would would happen over a period of years in his life. but, But that's momentary compared to the length of time that eternity is. Everything is momentary compared to eternity. And so Paul says the contrast of understanding that his troubles are light and momentary allows him to not quit and to be encouraged and renewed day by day because he's got a wonderful destination that he's headed towards. And you know what? We do too. Imagine this, this, the scene or the setting that OU makes it to another national championship game this year in football. Yeah, now I got your attention. Imagine OU were to make it to the national championship, a rematch with Florida. But let's just imagine that that rematch with Florida is happening at the same time that your son or daughter is getting married. And you do not hold sway or influence to reschedule that time. And so the wedding goes on. So what do you do? If you don't already own one, you go and buy a DVR system. You program it and you set record. And then on the way home, you hear on the radio the jubilation 
that OU has won. They won by a field goal on the last play of the game. You're overjoyed. You're honking your horn. You're celebrating. And you're also knowing that when you get home, you're going to be able to watch this on television, on your DVR. And so you get home and you turn on your DVR and you press play and you, you find out that at halftime, OU is getting beat 50 to nothing. Now you know that they win. They win by a field goal on the last play of the game. But the first half, it's 50 to nothing. Do you just turn it off? No. You keep watching it. As a matter of fact, you might call that suffering light and momentary in light of the eternal glory that is coming at the end of that game. You would keep watching that game because you know where it goes. You know where it's headed. You know what? How much more so is our lives? The suffering that we go through, the difficulty of this life that we go through, it's light and it's momentary. The end of the game, we know how it goes. Eternal glory with Christ forever. That's where it's headed. So we don't have to be discouraged in the momentary times. It's going to be difficult, it'll be hard, but we need to remember how it ends. Because knowing how it ends provides the proper contrast to keep us encouraged today. The light of the end makes most sense shining against the darkness of our experience today. Knowing that that's where it's headed, we need to be encouraged. See, there are three contrasts that we saw that help us to understand life and ministry a little more. We need to understand these, these contrasts. The contrast of our frailty versus His glory. We're a jar of clay. His glory shines brightest against our weakness. The contrast of our death versus their life. We experience difficulty so that others might be renewed and revitalized as the light of Christ shines through our lives. And we experience difficulty in the present, but we know how the game ends. Those three contrasts help us have a proper perspective on life and on ministry. You know, as we, as we end today, I want us to, to recite together the verses that we began with. And so we go ahead and put those up on the screen. We're going to read this out loud together. It's hard to read like that, isn't it? <laughs> Let's add the proper contrast. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Let's, let's, let's stand. Let's stand and read these verses together as a reminder of the great contrast that we experience in the Christian life. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much 
for today, and thank you for the contrast that you give us that allows us to see and to understand um, more of who you are. Father, and not just we, are, we alone, but also all around us who look onto our lives. Father, thank you that you shine your light so brightly through each of us as a jar of clay. Father, we pray that in our experience of death in this world, that life might be given to others. Because, Father, we know that one day we will be with you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.